Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are starting a series, um, and it's going to be on the book of Galatians. And so we decided to call this series Galatians. We're very creative around here at Summit Church. Um, but no, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is just walk through the book of Galatians together, talk about it, and then just look at really how does it apply to our lives? Um, and, and maybe more, applic- more appropriately, how do we apply our lives to it? Um, how do we shift and change and allow what, what God says through the book of Galatians to change our hearts. And so that's really what we're going to be doing. So I'm going to jump right in today. Uh, I'm going to walk through, I'm going to read all the verses we're going to cover, but here's your homework. Um, read the book of Galatians. It's only six chapters. And so read through it um, at least once over the next few weeks, but, but maybe take a chunk of it at a time every day. Read a little bit of it, and it'll help familiarize yourself with it so that when we talk about it, you'll have a little bit of context to work from. Uh, so today, I'm gonna walk through all the passages that, that we're gonna cover today. Next week, we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I'm not gonna be able to go through every single verse, but this week, we're gonna walk through as many of them as we can and walk, uh, walk them out together. So we'll start in verse one. Galatians 1, 1 says this. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So this is a a greeting. It's a little different than his standard greeting, but... He basically says, from all of us to all of you, you know, that's how this is coming. And the book of Galatians, it's a letter written from Paul to the Galatian churches. Um, it was written around 48 AD. It was probably written from Paul's home base in Antioch. Um, and what he had done is he had gone on a missionary journey, and probably his first missionary journey. Um, he had gone through southern Galatia and had... Uh, planted churches. And what Paul would normally do is he would start a church and he would raise up a pastor for that church, install them as pastor, and then move on. And he would stay in relationship. He was, he w- it was kind of a fatherly relationship, um, an apostolic relationship where he would still oversee or give feedback and insight to them from time to time. And so uh, what we see is Paul starts these churches and then he moves on and there was interaction between the churches. Uh, some of the time when he would start a church, he would go back and visit them, um, be with them, worship with them, those kind of things. Sometimes he wouldn't. But what we see here is there was a relationship between Paul and these churches because he started them. He was the founder. Um, and he probably did that in Acts 13 and 14. Uh, we see Paul go on his first missionary journey. That's probably when this happens. Um, it's interesting, especially as we read the rest of this, this letter, it's interesting because he says from the start, he identifies himself as an apostle. I, this letter's from Paul, an apostle. And then he says, I was appointed by, I wasn't appointed by any group of men. I was appointed by God himself. And you'll see the context as we work through this. It makes a lot of sense. So let me move on. Verse four, Jesus gave his life for our sins. Just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live, all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. So I want us to stay here for a second. 
If there was someone who had never heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ before, they didn't know who Jesus was, they had no idea about the history, um, and they needed you to summarize the gospel for them, I cannot think of a more appropriate summary than this. Jesus gave his life for our sins in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. Jesus gave his life. He died for our sins. He died for sinners. And I think it's so easy, and it's been easy for the church for years, but it's so easy for us to forget this. That, that this is the gospel, and this is important, and this is valuable. That, that Jesus gave his life for sinners. Jesus gave his life as a payment for our sins to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Um, it's interesting because in the first four verses, we see a pretty detailed description of who Jesus was. In verse one, we see that he was raised from the dead. In verse three, we see that he gives grace and peace. In verse four, we see that he is our savior, that he laid down his life for our sins to rescue us, right? So already this is packed with lots of good truth about the gospel, about who Jesus really is. And it's interesting because it says the evil world in which we live. And man, if, if I was just to take a poll about what constitutes evil in our world, we could take the rest of the service time, couldn't we? Let's start naming evil in the world and people could shout it out and we would, there would be no end to it. And if we're gonna be honest, there's a lot of things in the world that 10 years ago or 15 years ago, people would have thought would be impossible today. Churches would have said, it's impossible. That'll never be the case. We'll never be there. This will never be acceptable. We'll never live that way. Whatever it is, there's lots of things that look different today that we could ascribe this title evil to. But I want you to understand this. Um, in the context of this book, in the context of this letter, the, the evil world includes religious systems that are based on performance instead of grace. So the evil world is not just what's outside our church, but it can be what's inside our church as well. That, that, that we can allow evil to infiltrate our church. And evil is sly. It looks different than what we would assume. We'll come back to that in a moment. So Jesus gave his life for our sins in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. Verse 6. Listen to this. I love this so much. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist truth concerning Christ. Now, if you read the rest of Paul's writings, um, these first seven verses are unique, especially verses six and seven, because he is very direct, to say the least. He is very direct. And really, just reading this, I don't think we can get the tone for how direct he was and how angry might not be the right word, frustrated that he was with the Galatians. 
Um, it looked different. Because if you look at 1 Corinthians or Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians, they all have this paternal tone to them, this loving, warm tone. And we don't get that in the book of Galatians. It is direct. It, this is like when your boss calls you into his office and you don't know why. That's how the Galatians must have been feeling when they were hearing this. Because this is what happened. They just weren't sent a letter. The letter was dispatched, and the, the, the person who delivered the letter would read the letter. So the letter's being read to a group of people. This letter, they're being, they're being corrected as a group together. So they had to feel like, oh man, we're in trouble. So why was this happening? Because we don't see Paul treating unbelievers like this. We don't see Paul confronting unbelievers in the same kind of way. And that's the answer. Why was he doing it? Because they were believers. He's saying, you should know better than this. It's like when your kids, you tell them to do something or not to do something, and they do it or they don't, whatever it is, they disobey, and they do, and you're like, I told you, you know better than this, right? You know better than to whatever the behavior is. And Paul's saying this to his kids, the churches he started. He's saying, you know better than to behave this way. You know better than to do this. I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God. Called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. So uh, this word good news here, um, in the Greek, it's a word euangelino. In euangelino, it means good news or good telling. In the Anglo-Saxon version of this word, it's Godspell. And it's, that's where we get the word gospel, Godspell. And it means good story. I don't know about you. Do you? I like good stories. Do you like good stories? I, I love um, reading a book that has a good story. Or I love watching a movie that has a good story. I love, um, man, being around a good storyteller. Somebody who just knows how to, to spin a yarn, right? Uh, tell a good joke. There's just something about a good story. And this is what we're really looking at. We're looking at, uh, over the course of the book of Galatians, but, but even today specifically, we're looking at a really good story. Because we're looking at, at, at the story of Jesus. We're looking at God's story, God's narrative for us. And this is what Paul is describing so far. He's describing the good story, the gospel of Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, you're following a different gospel that pretends to be the true gospel, but it, it's not the gospel at all. And he's frustrated because he's telling Christians, you think you're following the gospel, but you're not. You think that you're living out your faith appropriately, but you are not. And he's, he's frustrated with that. He's upset by that. Because they've robbed the gospel of it being a really good story and what it really is supposed to be. He goes on to say this, verse eight, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. And it sounds like he's saying curses on that person, like I'm cursing that person. And I don't think that's the heart here. I think what he's really saying is that person is cursed for, for preaching another gospel, for living out another gospel, because any gospel 
that pulls us away from the true gospel robs us of Christ. And we'll explore that thought in just a moment. But that's really what it does. It robs us of Christ. And that's why he's so alarmed. That's why he's so frustrated. That's why he's speaking so directly, so firmly. Listen to what he says in verse 10, the audacity of this guy. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win approval of people. No kidding, right? If your boss calls you into his office and he just chews you out and he says, listen, I'm not trying to butter you up here. It's like, yeah, no joke, you're not trying to butter us up, buddy. We can sense that when you called us fools, right? He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. And we talked about this verse just a few weeks ago when we went through our identity series and we talked about the lie that I am nothing more than what people say or think about me. And we talked about this verse specifically, spent a lot of time on it. Um, But let me just say this. If we have the approval of God, we don't need the approval of people. If I've got God's approval, it doesn't matter who else is happy or unhappy with me. As long as God is happy with me, that's all that matters. And it is amazing what happens in our lives when we begin living for the approval of God instead of for the approval of people. It's amazing how it allows us to speak truth to people when we don't really care what they have to say. Because if God has called us to speak truth to somebody, then then he's got to deal with the cleanup, not us. It's amazing the doors that are open when I'm not intimidated or scared by people because I know who God is and who he's called me to be. When I'm living for his approval instead of the approval of people, it's amazing what happens. And this is how Paul lives his life. He understands that the good story is what drives him. The gospel is what drives him forward and that God is the one who called him. And if God approves of him, then he doesn't care what anybody else says. That's why he can say this stuff to the the Galatian church. And if I'm going to be totally honest with you, um, Paul, he, he lived off the support of the churches. So churches would support him. And he, he worked a job sometimes um, to, as a tent maker to earn a living so he could keep preaching the gospel. But churches supported him in doing so. And he could have been losing financial support by calling these people out. See, the natural tendency would be to say, no, 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 you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to offend anybody. But he was so driven by the gospel, by by what his convictions were, by what God has spoken to him, that he said, hey, I got to speak truth to you. And it's not going to be popular. You're not going to like it. I'm not trying to win a popularity contest, but this is what God's called me to do. Verse 11 says, dear brothers and sisters, I want, to, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach isn't based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. And no one taught me. Instead, I received it direct by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. So what he's doing now, he's going to walk into a section where um, he's unpacking his testimony. And he's going to talk about uh, what God has done in his life. Because what's happened is they've started veering from the authentic gospel that Paul preached to them, that God, Paul led them through. They've started doing their own thing. And... And Paul is trying to establish his, his, uh, his bona fides. He's trying to help them see, no, this is legitimate, okay? The gospel that I preach to you is not a fake gospel. What you're doing is a fake gospel. So he's trying to establish his credibility with them. And so he, he starts off by saying, hey, I didn't just get this from some webinar I watched, right? This wasn't like two o'clock in the morning, there was an infomercial on, I don't even know, are there still infomercials on TV at two o'clock in the morning? I don't even know. And infomercial, I dialed in and I got this information and that's, that's how I got it. 
No, he's saying, God downloaded this to me. I got this from God, this gospel that I'm preaching to you. He goes on to say in verse 13, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church? I did my best to destroy it. It was far, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. If you want to know more about Paul's testimony, his story, it's a crazy story. You can look at, at Acts chapter 9 is where that's found. I would encourage you to read it. It's pretty cool. Verse 15 says, But even before I was born... God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. So let me show you this. Even this, he says in verse 15, God chose me. See, God is, God is the subject, not him. He said, God is the one who chose me. God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it goes on to say, then he, it pleased him to, to, call me to to preach the good news to the Gentiles. See what it says? God gets all the credit. I didn't do anything. He's not saying, look how great I am. Look at all the work I've done. He's saying, God is the one who chose me. God is the one who called me. He's the one who did the revealing about his son. He's the one who sent me. He gets the credit. He says, when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human beings. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. And he's talking about the disciples. So the legit disciples of Jesus, the the 12 who followed him, um, they were in church leadership. And he said, I didn't even go talk to them about it. He said, instead, I went away to Arabia. And later I returned to the city of Damascus. So what he did is uh, he spent three years after his conversion, after his his experience with Jesus, and he, he went away. And some scholars think he went into seclusion or he went into, into like this three years of studying. Um, but what it says in Acts is immediately he started preaching. And so I believe what happened is he just started preaching. He was so excited about what God had done. He was so transformed by the good story of Jesus that it propelled him forward into his calling. And he began preaching immediately. Because this is the cool thing. He was, it says that he was, the highest level of Jewish uh, Jew, basically. He says, I knew I was advanced. And, and so he knew the law. He knew um, the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, forward and backward. So he had this deep knowledge of the, the, the law, Jewish law, but then he'd had this crazy experience with Jesus Christ. And now it's all coming together for him. And he understands. And so he just jumps into this calling and begins doing what God's called him to do. It says in verse 18, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. So let me pause here for a second. Peter was the apostle of Jesus. Um, he was a follower of Jesus. Um, after de- Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus ascends to heaven. Peter is with the 120 who are in the upper room. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people convert to Christianity. Thousands of people hear the good story and they, they convert and they go, okay, we're in. Um, and so this is who it's talking about. Uh, the Catholic church says that Peter was the first pope. Um, now, whether you believe that or not, he was a very important figure in the early church for sure. Um, he was the, probably the head of the early church, if not in title, um, by influence at least. And so this is what it says. Um, <laughs> three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. 
And I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the, the brother of Jesus. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that, I went into the north, the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, uh, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was what the people were saying. This is the quote. The one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This last line, and they praised God because of me, that sounds a little prideful, doesn't it? And they praised God because of me. Like that's the way you can imagine him saying it, but that's not really the tone of this. What he's really saying is God was glorified because his story was told through me. Does that make sense? So Paul, again, is not looking for credit, but what he's saying is they understood the dramatic turn in my story. They understood that I was once someone who literally was out to kill and destroy Christianity, but now I am preaching the same good story that I was trying to squash just a minute ago. They saw that and they understood it and God was glorified because of that. And this is the thing that's interesting. Paul's testimony was actually evidence of the power of the gospel. It was evidence of the veracity of the gospel in our lives. That when the gospel is applied to our lives, that our lives can be transformed. And people saw that firsthand and they marveled at it. So my question to you today is this. What's the evidence of the power of the gospel in your life? What is the evidence in your life that the gospel has made a radical change? I know you're clamoring to answer, but we'll move on. You're all excited, like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. And this is the thing. The book of Galatians is tough. It's direct. And this is not really a feel-good message today in a lot of ways. My hope is you'll feel convicted at the end of this. My hope is the Holy Spirit will get a hold of your heart because this is the thing. The Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of my heart when it comes to this. I'm not preaching this message for you people. I'm preaching this message for me, and I hope you can get something from it as well. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again. This time with Barnabas. So he spent his 15 days with Peter. He, then he went about his business. He said, 14 years later, I came back with Barnabas and Titus came along too. So these were two figures that were prominent in the ministry of Paul throughout his life. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders in the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and didn't even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Now, if you're just reading this casually, this would seem like an odd thing to throw in, right? Uh, if we put it in our context, it would be like showing up to a meeting at work and you're like, hey, everybody, good to see you. I want to introduce Jensen to you. Jensen's new. He's working in the accounting department. Jensen, great to meet you. Glad you're here for the meeting today. If you're not circumcised, you're going to have to be pretty quickly. I'm just telling you, that's how it works around here. Very important to us. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> right? Uh, why is that important here? I don't understand. Because if we look at it in, that, in our Western context, that's what we would think. Like, why do they care? Why is this an issue? But this is what I want you to understand. This was, this was groundbreaking. Because 
what we're about to see is that there was a group of believers who have a Jewish background and they were convinced that in order to be a true follower of Jesus, you had to uh, follow the tenets of the Jewish faith. So you had to follow the ceremonial law of the Jewish faith, which required uh, certain dietary restrictions. It required you to be circumcised. There were all kinds of things. And they were saying, in order to be a true follower of Jesus, you've got to do this stuff. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, I, I want you to hear this, Galatians. Let me tell you about the story. I go to... I go to Jerusalem. I'm spending time with Peter and James and the pillars of the church. And, and Titus is with me. He is a Gentile. And we spend time together. They, they affirm our ministry and they don't even require Titus to be circumcised. So what he's saying is he's, he's building a case that there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom from ceremonial law in the Old Testament. We don't have to live that way. And so he's saying, this is a big deal because they said he could do ministry and he doesn't have to be circumcised. He doesn't have to conform to this image in this way. Then he goes on in verse four to say, even that question came up only because of some of the, some of the so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in and I'm uncomfortable with sneaked. Is it snuck or sneaked? Because it seems to be sneaked, but I've been wrong my whole life. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and enforce us, or enforce us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And what is the truth of the gospel message? Jesus died for sinners. This is what he was saying in verse six of chapter one. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news. You've drifted off course and you don't even know it. You're, you're, You're telling a story, but it's not the good story. See, the different way, it's not in blatant opposition to the gospel. That's not how Satan works. See, it had subtle differences. It was easy to reason away some of these things. It was easy for them to go, well, here's here's what we've been doing our whole history as Jews. And Jesus was Jewish. He's the Messiah. So it stands to reason. You convert to Judaism, right? You follow our tenets. That seems to make sense. Like, okay, that's reasonable, right? But that's what happens in our life. Satan doesn't come to us and go, hey, you know what? You should stop worshiping Jesus and start worshiping me. Because we would all be like, no, thank you. I'm good, right? That's not how it happens. How it happens is the dial is turned one click at a time. Click, 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 click. So what happens? Well, some people were in the church, the Galatian churches, who said, you know what? It's really important that we eat the right foods, that we follow the dietary restrictions. It's really important that we're circumcised. It's really important we follow these Jewish tenets in order to be pleasing and and acceptable to God. And and that's just not how it works. See, the, the true gospel is freedom in Christ Jesus. We'll talk more about that next week. But I want you to hear this. Jesus plus 
anything is not the gospel. If, if your salvation depends on Jesus plus anything else, you're following a different gospel. If your salvation is dependent on Jesus and works, you're following a different gospel. If your salvation is dependent on Jesus plus your good intentions, you're following a different gospel. If, if, if your salvation is dependent on Jesus plus church attendance, and if there was any, ever gonna be anybody who would guilt someone into church attendance, it would be me, right? All the cool kids are doing it. It's not enough. Being good, behavior modification. I've seen this for years in churches. <laughs> I grew up in a church when I was young that we said we loved everybody. But wait till everybody came to our church. They found out, we don't really love everybody. We love you if you look like us. We love you if you behave like us. We love you if you act like us. And that's what these Jewish believers were doing. They were saying, man, you're acceptable to God as long as you do these steps. As long as you do these things, then God will love you. But if you don't, God can't love you. And it's easy to look at that and go, man, that was horrible. But we do the same thing. Somebody walks in and their hair's a little too long or maybe too short. They've got a tattoo that's actually visible. They've got a, a piercing on something that shouldn't be pierced. I don't know when we decided what should be and shouldn't be pierced. Ears are okay, noses, no, right? But we've got our standards. And in many ways, we're not any better than the Galatians were because we wanna go, okay, well, we do love you, but you really need to, you can't, you can't dress like this anymore. <laughs> You, you can't wear, you can't look like, you can't say, <laughs> can, can I just be honest with you? I'm going to start, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Something in me gets excited just a little bit. Whenever I hear a new person come into our church and they're cursing around me, man, this is the best message I've heard. I've never been to a church like this before. Like, that's right, you haven't, Right? Come on. That's what I want to see. And it's easy for us, it's easy for us to, to condemn other churches. It's easy for us to go, well, we're not like those other churches. We don't, we don't have pipe organs. We don't sing hymns like those churches. We're much better than they are. We're free. And they say the same thing sometimes. Not, not churches in our community. Most of them are awesome. We got great relationships. But it's easy for churches to go, well, those people, they sing songs off the wall. They have a guitar. They sound like a rock band. And we get a little defensive and go, why can't Jesus use a rock band? What's up with that, right? But then we're legalistic too. Because we go, well, we don't have to sing with a pipe organ. We're all legalistic about this stuff if we're not careful. Because we're all human beings. Our hearts are all a mess at times because we all are battling these kind of things. And at the end of the day, it is not our works that save us. It is not our intentions that save us. It's not even our feelings that save us. So many times when it comes to church, we feel like we have this experience with God and we've got to feel a certain way. And then when we don't feel that way, we must think God abandoned us or maybe it wasn't real. Our feelings lie to us. See, our relationship with Jesus is about a covenant. 
And a covenant doesn't care about your feelings. A covenant is for life. It is permanent. (laughs) That's why in my marriage, uh, my wife and I are in covenant together. And there are days that, that I don't feel like being a good husband. And there are days she doesn't feel like being a good wife. But our feelings don't matter at that point. We are in covenant together. And if we're dependent on feeling the goosebumps with Jesus, then when we don't have the goosebumps, our relationship's gonna fall apart. It's covenant. It is a deep commitment and it's not about our feelings. It is Jesus alone who saves us, who redeems us, who rescues us from this evil world. See, James says that faith without works is dead. Works are important in regard to our faith, but works are a result of our faith. We don't say faith plus works equals salvation. It is faith in Christ Jesus that saves us, but those works are a result of our faith and our affection for Jesus. See, I take care of my girls. I love taking care of my girls most of the time. Last night I got into trouble because I forgot to pick up some stuff in the grocery store for Emma. And I want to publicly apologize to you, Emma. It doesn't get better than this apology. It's a public apology in front of hundreds of people. But normally I love taking care of my girls. And I don't do it to carry favor with my girls to make them like me or manipulate them. I do it as a, as a response to my affection for them. I'm committed to them. I love them deeply. I'm their father. And as a result, I take care of them. And in the same way, our affection for Christ should be so supreme that, that nobody has to tell us to get to work. Our affection for Christ should be so supreme that our response to that relationship is good is happening all around us. We can't help but do good in the name of Jesus because of what he's done in and through us. Verse six, chapter two. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add what I was, to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Which again, goes back to what I said earlier. He was, he understood who called him. He understood um, his standing with God, and he didn't care if people were happy with that. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, so basically what he says is, it's amazing that we can have differing opinions on things and still work together. And I wish our world understood this. I hope the church, and I don't mean our church, I mean the big C church, can, can set an example for the world in this, that we can disagree but still work together, that, that we don't have to agree on everything and we can still not hate each other. That our church can look different than other churches, but we can still have deep affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ at different churches. They might not believe in uh, female pastors, and we do. That doesn't mean they're evil and we're good. It just means that's a secondary issue we're going to set aside. They might not believe in the gifts of the Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They might not believe in healing. That's okay. To me, that's a secondary issue. The primary issue is the gospel. The gospel is central to everything else. The good story, the story of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And it goes on to say, uh, Paul, uh, Paul says this, in fact, James, Peter, and John, 
who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They were peers, is what he was saying. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. This is what he says. He says, there were things we didn't agree on, but we agreed on the gospel. And we agreed that we're gonna do what we're called to do, and you're gonna do what you're called to do. And it's gonna be great. How powerful is that? That we as the church can say, here's what we know we're called to do. And this church, they look a little different and they're called to do something a little different. But at the end of the day, what we're all called to do is, is gospel. Tell a good story of Jesus Christ. And then what he says is, hey, continue to be generous. And one of the reasons scholars think he said that was because uh, the Jewish churches weren't as wealthy as the as the Gentile churches that Paul was starting. And these churches worked together. There was financial support between the churches. And this is important. Even today, um, I take a little bit of pride in this, that, that we are a church who preaches the gospel. We do what we feel like God has called us to do. But then it says, continue to be generous, right? And I feel like God has called us to be generous with churches around us, with people around us, with pastors. And, and we have sponsored and partnered with churches who didn't have the same doctrine we did. We have partnered with churches who, who didn't believe in female pastors, but that didn't keep us from going, hey, we're gonna cheer you on. We're gonna root you on and, and help you tell a good story about who Jesus is to lost people in your area. That's what it's about. See, there's unity around the gospel. The gospel unites us. See, unity is valuable, but, but not as valuable as the gospel. Galatians 2.11 says this. <laughs> Um, so let me set this up. Uh, Peter heard what was going on in Antioch. God was moving. God was doing amazing things. He comes to Antioch. So it says this, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. I love Paul. He's direct. He's just calling people out when they need to be called out. He goes on to say this, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, some Jewish believers, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by the, their hypocrisy. He's saying even Barnabas, Barnabas, my boy, who knew better, was being led astray. So what is he saying? Peter was being a hypocrite because he was eating in the company of, of, of people that Jewish people would consider unclean. They were eating food that might have been unclean, but they were ceremonially unclean. And he was with them. He was around them. Um, there's some indications he might have even eaten what they were eating. He was disregarding ceremonial law at that point. And then the Jewish guy's contingent shows up and he distances himself and Paul's angry. He's frustrated because he says, you're supposed to be a leader. You're, you're setting a tone, but you're a hypocrite. This was a big deal. Peter was the head of the church and Paul's livelihood could have been lost. His ability to minister could have been lost in a lot of ways if Peter would have decided that, that they were on the outs, that they couldn't work together. But Peter, I'm sorry, Paul was driven by his convictions. Listen to what he says next in verse 14. 
when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, remember, it all comes back to the gospel. I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Calls them out in front of everybody. That's not really Matthew 18, by the way. Matthew 18 says, go to a brother in private, right? (laughs) Sorry, Paul, right? Paul goes to him in front of everybody. And he says, you're a Jew by birth, and, and yet you're here with the Gentiles doing Gentile things. So now why are you trying to make Gentiles Jews? He just calls him out as a hypocrite. Again, it was all tied back to the gospel. And the gospel says Jesus alone is what saves us. But what was happening is they were being pulled away. And he's saying, Peter, you're influencing people to to leave Jesus behind. Because what we're going to see next week is if, if our works can save us, why did Jesus die on the cross? And so what happens is, as, as we begin following a different gospel, we are robbed of Jesus. We leave Jesus behind. And Paul's seeing that. And he has such a passion, such an affection for Jesus. He has such an affection for the gospel that he has to call Peter out in public. See, it so dominated his worldview that he was willingly, uh, he would willingly confront Peter publicly and, and possibly lose everything. Lose his status, his reputation, things that could have been important to him. He was willing to lay it down. Really, what we've been talking about today, we talked about the gospel, the good story of Jesus, and then Paul shares his testimony. He talks about how God worked in his life. And so what we've done is we've layered the good story of Jesus over the good story of Paul. And that's really what we're looking at today. That's really what we're talking about is a good story. Um, as, as this last weekend, I was, or this last week, I was talking to Pastor Todd about this message and about this series, and he brought up Revelation chapter 12, which I thought was appropriate. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, uh, John the Revelator is writing this, this vision he's gotten from God, and he said, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers. He's talking about Satan. The accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God uh, day and night. And listen to what it says. And they've defeated him by the blood of the Lamb, and by their testimony. And some versions say the word of their testimony. This word is lagos. It, it can mean the word of God. It can also mean the word we speak. I know a lot of people, when they hear the word testimony, if you've grown up in church, you get a little uncomfortable. Are you gonna give your testimony to somebody? Are you gonna share your testimony? And it's like, oh gosh, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't know. But really all a testimony is in, in this language, it's talking about what we would say before a judge, before an arbiter, somebody who's trying to figure out what's right and wrong. We're just sharing our experiences. We're sharing what we've seen and what we've heard. Um, 
Last weekend, we talked a little bit about a man Jesus healed who was blind, and Jesus spit in the dirt, and he patted it, the mud pies, and he put it in this dude's eyes, and then he told him, go cleanse yourself in the pool, and he finished up, and he could see. And religious leaders said, what happened? Who did this? They're asking him all these questions, and he just says, listen, I was blind, but now I see. That was his testimony. That was his story. That was his good story. Here's what happened. Here's what I experienced. Here's all that I know. That's really what God calls us to, is to tell our good story, to just share what God has done in our lives. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. One of the things that I've struggled with in my life is, um, man, I do love a good story. And I always struggled to share my testimony because I felt like my testimony was not a good story. Um, I grew up in a church that uh, there was a fairly famous figure from our church. His name was Dennis Bird. And if you're a football fan, maybe you remember him. Dennis played for the New York Jets. Uh, He was an all-pro, fantastic football player. His career was cut short when he had a a severe neck injury during a game. He ran into um, another player. I believe it was Mark Gastineau. I don't remember now. He ran into another player, had a severe neck injury, spinal injury, and they thought he would never walk again. He eventually walked, wrote a book. They had a television movie about him. Um, Incredible story. And so growing up in that church, I thought, man, my story stinks. His story is awesome. Look how good his story is. (laughs) I don't have a story. Nothing dramatic, you know. My parents were married my whole life. They loved each other. I was never abused. I never drank, never did drugs. My story stinks. And then I realized that the good story is not about me. See, we all think we're the heroes of our stories. And I've got bad news for you. You are not the knight in shining armor. You are the damsel in distress. You and I are not the hero of our stories. Our good story is not about us at all. Our good story is about Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the good story. So my story has value because it's not about me. It's about Christ in me. It's about what Jesus has done. Jesus died to save sinners, to rescue us from this evil world. That's the gospel. That's the good story. (laughs) Doesn't end there, though. Verse 11. Said they defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. These people that are martyred, they had such an affection for Christ that they were willing to die. The word here for love, it's uh, agapeo. It's where we get the word uh, agape, love. And when it's directed at a thing, like our life, it means a contentment with. So what it means is these people weren't so contented with their lives, they didn't love their life so much that they were unwilling to die. And my fear is that many of us have become so contented with our lives that we don't really love the gospel that much. 
See, these people, they loved the gospel. They loved the good story. They loved Jesus so supremely that they're willing to lay down their life for him. But yet what I see in churches and in Christians across our nation is we don't even love the gospel enough to serve in kids' church. We don't love the gospel enough to share our faith, our testimony, our good story with our coworker who we've worked with for years and we know aren't Christians. We don't love the gospel enough to walk across the street and meet our neighbor. But yet, we say, well, we love Jesus. We love the gospel. I don't say this today to condemn you. My hope is that like me, you'll be challenged. Like like me, you'll be convicted. Like me, maybe God will begin to shift something in your heart. Because it's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to be nice. It's not enough to be moral. Jesus has paid it all. He has saved us. He has rescued us. But I never want us to placate ourselves by showing up to church and thinking we're doing exactly what God's called us to do by simply showing up. No, 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 no. Not at all. A lot of us say we would die for Christ. But will we live for him? Do we love him enough so supremely that we'll do whatever he wants. Paul was willing to risk everything for the gospel. What will we risk for the gospel? Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes and pray together. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this place. I pray your blessing on these next few moments. Speak into us what you would. Help us to hear your voice clearly. And help us to follow your path and your direction. Have your way with us over these next few moments. Now keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Right now, I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville and they're gonna close out the rest of this service. Love you guys. God bless you. And for those of you here in this room, those of you watching online today, there are gonna be a couple of invitations. One is for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you more than you know, more than you can fathom, more than you will ever understand on this side of eternity. God gave Jesus to pay the price for your sins. Jesus died to save sinners, to rescue us from this evil world. I wanna give you that opportunity today to, to make a commitment, be in covenant with Jesus Christ. But I also wanna invite those of you that maybe you consider yourself believer, you consider yourself a Christian, but you recognize today that maybe your affection for Christ is not supreme. Maybe your affection for the gospel is not what it needs to be. Maybe you're someone who believes in Jesus plus something else, works, behavior, whatever it is. You realize that maybe you've robbed yourself of Christ because you've begun to follow a different gospel. I want to give you an opportunity to respond as well. If you're here today and you'd say, Mel, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to accept his lordship and his kingship in my life. I want to serve him from this day forward. I want to make that commitment. If that's you, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? If you'd say, Mel, that's me. Yeah, thanks. I see you on my left. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you on my right. Thank you. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? 
Yeah, thank you. I see you on my left. If you're here today and you'd say, Mom, I'm a Christian. I believe I'm going to heaven, but the reality is I've started following a different gospel and I didn't even realize it. And I need God to course correct. I need to be back on track. I need to be walking with Jesus more faithfully. I need my affection for Christ and for the gospel to be supreme. And I need the Holy Spirit's help with that. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up and acknowledge that and say, yeah, I need some help. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, a bunch of hands. A bunch of hands. Thank you. All over the room. Yeah. I want you to pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for those that just responded and said they're believers, but they need help. God, I pray right now your Holy Spirit would begin to do a work in our hearts. Lord, specifically those that raise their hand, Lord, I pray that you would begin to to shift things around. Lord, I pray that you'd begin to, Lord, light a fire in us that will burn away what's unproductive, what's what's dead. Burn away uh, what is too much of us and not enough of you. God, I pray that you would move in us in such a way that we would be known for our affection for you, corporately as a church and as individuals as well. So Lord, I pray for those that raised their hand and just responded and said, I I need help. I think I've veered off the path. God, correct them, bring them back into right standing, bring them back into a faithful walk with you. Lord, help them to realize that there is nothing that saves us except for Christ alone. And God, I pray that you would help our affection for for Christ to be supreme. There is no match in our hearts. So Lord, have your way with us. Now, if you responded and said, I want to make Christ Lord of my life. I want to acknowledge his lordship and his kingship in my life. The book of Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I want you to pray this prayer with me, but I want you to mean it from your heart. I don't want you to just say these words religiously. I want you to mean it from the core of who you are. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. Everyone in the room, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, Thank you for giving Jesus, your only son, to pay for my sins on the cross. Today, I'm a new person. I'm different because of what Jesus has done. Use my life for your glory for as long as I live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give you a round of applause. Listen, the word of God tells us you're a new creation today. So if you prayed that prayer with us today and you meant it, um, this is the beginning of a new life and we would love to help you take the next step in this journey. Simplest thing for you to do would be to take the card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out and then take it to our info center, let them know. And we're gonna give you a Bible. We're gonna help you take the next step. If you can't reach one of the cards or maybe you're watching online, simply text uh, Summit PA to the number 94000. And when you do that, we're going to respond back to you and you can select the prompt that says salvation and uh, follow those steps. And we're going to get some info in the mail to you. We're going to respond to you and help you take the next step in your faith. So thank you for worshiping with us today. If, if you were one of the people that responded and said, 
I might have veered off track a little bit, or maybe I was following a different gospel and I didn't even realize it. I would encourage you in just a moment, our prayer team, some of our staff are gonna be here at the front of the room. I would encourage you to come find one of us and let us pray with you before you go today. Um, Because there's power and there's freedom in Jesus Christ and in the power of agreement together over your situation. So let us pray with you before you go today. So I'm gonna pray a final prayer over us. And while I'm due, our team is gonna join me here at the front of the room. And as we're dismissed, if you would like prayer for any reason at all, make your way forward. Let us pray with you before you go today. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for all you've done, all you're doing and all you're going to do. God, I thank you that there's freedom in the name of Jesus, that there's life in the name of Jesus and that your story is the only good story. So Lord, I pray that we would carry the gospel with us everywhere we go, that your story would be at the forefront of our heart and at the the front of our thinking, that we would be willing to share what you're doing in and through us at a moment's notice with whoever may ask. So God, I pray that you'd give us doors of opportunity to share our stories, our testimonies with the people around us. And I pray that we would carry your light and your life and your glory with us wherever we go so that you could be glorified. Thank you for what you're doing, God. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.